Are you ready to take action to attain the lifestyle of your dreams? It's a great way to make a lot of money fast, fast, fast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Clever Investor Show. I'm your host, Cody Sperber. Today, we got one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth. This guy's an absolute rock star. Um, good friend of mine. I met him. Damn, what did I meet? You probably six, seven years ago. Six, seven years ago. Very interesting character for you today. Um, one of the pioneers in the cannabis space. Grew one of the largest dispensaries in the country. Uh, reef dispensaries. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, you've seen the massive, monstrous reef building. Uh, scaled that company. Exited from that company. Parlayed a massive exit into a bunch of other businesses. The guy's a phenomenal investor. Uh, one of my private lenders at one point. You know, we I reached out to him and uh, we did some real estate deals together. The great Matt Morgan is with us here today. So Matt, welcome to the Clever Investor Show. Oh, thanks for having me, Cody. I appreciate it. Dude, this this show is all about raw conversations. Oh man, guess I'll take the condom off. <laughs> Making money, having fun, talking uh, a little smack about entrepreneurship, but also like some things that maybe you do to make your money matter, how you think about investments. Like, uh, let, let's kind of go back though. So I want everybody a quick chance to get to know you. The reason I say you're interesting, you're very polarized. Like when, when I'm around you and we're like hanging out, like people are gravitating towards you. You know, they're maybe like you're, I've heard that before. You're somewhat mysterious, but also like very like you're approachable and you're, and you're really out there. So let's kind of go back to begin. You're from Montana. Yep. Been doing business for 17 years. Yeah. How in the heck did you get into the cannabis space? Like, so, you know, I was fumbling around. Um, I knew that uh, traditional education was not for me. So I, you know, took my family and went to Paul for 10 days. I was like, look, I try it, but I don't believe a word that any professor says, so I'm out of here. Fumbled around, was an electrician apprentice for two years. Then I had a job in these trenches laying city water and sewer pipes, and I was like 19. Uh, and then I was like, you know, I got to figure this out. My father was kind enough to give me a course of real estate when I was 40. Took the course. I'm like, all right, I'm going all into real estate. Uh, did that 20, 21, 22, 23. Was successful, had new cars, had the big, you know, $700,000 house, almost 22, uh, which is a, was a lot, 2000, we were six, seven in Montana, right? That gets you like 7,000 feet. Um, and I had the whole thing. And then in 2008, we all know what happened. You know, the subprimes fell out. I was obliterated, bro. I was over leverage. I didn't understand economic cycle. I was just a young kid. I'm like, I got this shit figured out. I didn't have it figured out. I lost everything. Uh, had a couple hundred bucks that I left my buddy's basement for uh, several months. Literally, like what? Sleeping on a couch and some high, the spare bedroom, you know? I had like no sheets or anything. It's like, it'd be like a shitty old comforter. Uh, and I just remember watching like reruns of Andrew That was like my, that was like kept me alive. It was cold as like cloudy Montana, negative 10 degrees. And I'm just like, God, if I could just get to LA and live this life. Um, and then I started doing more research online and, and some of my friends started getting their medical marijuana cards. And I saw how this literally saved their lives. They were veterans, just PTSD. And at the tail end of my like smoke and marijuana, yeah, they are. But it got them off all pharmaceuticals. Like it, it saved their lives. Like when I say that, it's I'm dead serious. And I'm like, man, you know, I, I just remember a bunch of hippies smoking dope. Like, but I'm watching what's going on, and I see like a movement started to like gear up. Like this, like I figure, all right, this is the next big thing. And everyone's like, this is 2008, right? This is way before today. And everyone's like, you're crazy. And my family's like, you want to be a drug dealer? And we knew it. And it's like. It was a disaster, but I'm very hard-headed. And like when I laser focus on something, like no one's going to tell me otherwise. And so I just, that day, I made an decision where I'm going all in on this. You know, I scraped for friends and family. Uh, I scraped together 80 grand. 
and uh, built these cultivations that were complete shit. But I started my garage and figured it out. Wait, all right, I got the hang of this. So wait, your master plan was to grow your own grow wheat for no. I became a caregiver to grow up for the patient. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't a user if at all. I actually thought that people that smoke pot were completely unsuccessful and motivated. Because that's what he or thought, right? Drowning alcohol is cool. That's what the cool kids do. If you smoke dope, you're losing. I actually start thinking the author. So yeah, I, you know, I scraped together 80 grand and kept parlaying that, parlaying that. I started to grow some of the best cannabis in Montana after I failed many times. Started to get more attention from, you know, a gentleman that sold his waste management company for $40 million. We want to get the business, ended up building like a $3 million cultivation in my part for fifty fifty, uh, and just kept rolling. And then Montana being very conservative, old schools and well, this program's completely out of control. If the century's on every street corner, we got to put a lid on it. So they came in in 2010 and were like, Hey, uh, you can no longer grow at scale. So if you want to be a grower, you can only grow 18 plants. I was growing like over 3000, you know, I, I was pumping at that. Well, I was doing like 80 bucks a year, but I'd hit like the ceiling in Montana. Like there's nowhere to go. We're talking about at this point, there's less than a million people in the whole state. And there's, um, what's interesting about this, there's no roadmap. You're figuring this out in real time. Like, yeah, I, I don't like their cannabis coverage. I have a very strange brain where I, I can utilize the left and right side of my brain. So I can be very creative, but I can also be very process driven. And I, I'm very numbers, uh, orientated. So like math is like probably one of my strongest still set. Um, so yeah, I'm like creating stuff out of thin air, trying to figure out and navigate and the landscape's changing so fast. I'm done with the DLJs that have kicked my door in. It has to be a weird feeling, like thinking you're skirting the legal line. You're literally like you had the needle. Yeah. And, I, and you know, I had three cultivations. One day I pulled up and the DOJ wasn't one of my cultivations. And he's like, you know, uh, he was like, hey, you know, I know your family. You're a good kid. And he goes, I think you just went down the wrong path. It's like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to cut all these flies down. We're going to go back home to your family and figure out a different business. I cut all the flies down and just hit harder. Yeah. That yeah. was probably a smart move. Yeah. You know what? I don't know what that dude's at now. I was into aging about there, but it, and you're not going to sit on your yacht like the Wolf of Wall Street, throw lobsters at him. All right. And so you're growing. Now they're putting the can on it. Yeah. At this point, like, you know, at 3,000 plants, if you decide to keep going, like, that's serious prison block. Yeah. And at that point, like, listen, I don't mind towing the line, but when it comes to like getting 10, 15, 20 years in prison, like, there's no amount of money to afford that for me. Yeah. One of one of our first, our very first episode was with Wes Watson. Yeah. And I, 10 years in prison. And a lot of my questions were like, Afrel, could I last in prison? I cannot believe that I would do very well. And he's like, oh, I think you'd be okay. You would because you're so smart and like you're methodical and like it's a big game, but it's the, the, you're playing it. I also have a baby face and a nice ass. So I'm real worried you're curving your date in trouble. Come back. <laughs> uh, man. So, all right. Now, now what? I had to shut the whole thing down. Just start from square one again. So I looked around the country. I'm like, all right. And I'd spent a lot of time in Arizona historically, and I like it still. So I'm like, all right, here's the deal. I'm just going to pack up my Silverado. I'm going to drive it down to Arizona. We'll just dig it. I saved, you know, I, I I burned a lot of chips, like trying to figure this whole thing out, but I still had like 50K or something. Like, yeah. So I took the 50K, I dipped to Arizona, and um, opened a chain of hydroponic stores with another investor called Ugro. And I started selling all the hydroponic clips. You moved to like the retail side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we'll, 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 we'll coach you on how you can grow. Exactly. And what it did is it gave me a platform to start like, the network and drop the cannabis community in Arizona. So I meet this guy, his dad's a decorated politician. I'm like, hey, I know how to grow a pot. I know how to build cannabis companies. 
let's put your dad to that creating senator fog the application for the coming out in the next three or four months. So that's what we did. Um, otherwise, they would never walk get me a license on some ramen kit from Montana, and I had no political juice. And uh, so you grow something along, end up winning it down with along with it. That's amazing. Yeah, incredible. Those are the type of politicians we want in office. Exactly. I understand. He won the I guess an upshoot award in Arizona because all these politicians were taking bribes that we were. Are we allowed to say who it is? No, probably not. All right. Well, I like that guy. You know, he's a good man. I think he got a pretty healthy buyout when it was all said and done. So bless his heart. Uh, so I'm building now. And now, before I, I felt like I did okay, not for newer, but what I really started to realize is how important mentors and coaches were. And so, like, I, I would still to this day be like, no, I'm not going to, I would not do call it again if you said, like, do it my life over. But I would find very powerful coaches and mentors that, like, rarely got high school. I, and like they give you the playbook they've done it they've been there so so it's like you avoid all the pitfalls and you get a chance to redo what they did without with mistakes my my take on college is pretty simple if you don't know what you want to do yet in life and you want to buy a little bit more time for your parents to kind of ping your way yeah and you want to party a little bit as long as you're going to college for a degree that could be useful i'm okay with it i don't love it but like if you're going for finance for instance, you're going to use finance in entrepreneurship. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee you'll use it. If you're doing basket weaving or some weird thing, it's just such a waste of time and, and money. I just agree. Like communications or like art or like, I don't know. My personal belief about higher education, all education at this point is that the government grooms you to be a good corporate citizen, to get on the hands of the will to work for 40 years and then retire and die. Trust in the 401k. Yeah, and that way they control you because money's power. So the more you go against their, their grain and you build and accumulate wealth, the more power you have, which could jeopardize or threaten their their system. So they don't like people that go against what they were. Yeah. Right? And so I believe that the more traditional education you go through, the more you're getting groomed to be a good worker. Kids nowadays get it. Like when we were kids, you go through class and if what do you want to be to grow up? But like, I want to be a scientist. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. Now I bet you go to a class. I bet you 89% of classes I want to be an entrepreneur. We didn't know what that was. And I didn't even, yeah, for newer, I didn't even know what that word meant when I was a kid. You know, and I, I never heard it. Well, entrepreneurs never called themselves entrepreneurs. So I'm a yeah. business lead. Yeah. Like Jay-Z, right? Yeah, as well. So when you, now you started talking about mentors. So here you are, you're meeting all these people. Are you actively thinking i need to find a mentor i have mentors in montana but they're like a joke when i look them back you know what i mean like plus their hearts for trying to help me and make a buck with me but like it was it's like a mud puddle so like scott's still like the first place where there was real wealth and like real guys that needed the gate and so i'm a really good networker i'm really gonna make them friends i'm really good at kidding people like me so like i just started networking and i found these old guys they call them the old wise men and like you know they gave me the playbook once i met them like let's just say i was like a stumbling entrepreneur like this like slowly going up I went like this because they built, you know, Fortune 500 companies. So, like, they're like, here's how you do this. Here's who you hired. Here's how you, we're here for, here's how you create core values. Here's how you build financial models. Here's how you build pitch decks. Oh, here's my whole Rolodex of rich people. Let's go pitch them. Right. Like, literally, it was like, oh my God. Like, it took like the, the, the blindfold off me. And you met them just through networking? Uh, so the first one I met when I was 25 and I moved to Arizona. This other kid I'd met, he's like, come to this entrepreneur class with me. I'm like, I don't like classes. I don't like how to spend it. She's like, no, trust me. It's so cool. Like all these different people, blah, blah, blah. So I, I show up on them. Like just to, if you shut up, I'll go. 
So I go one day, the instructor, I was 25, said so he was 65. He's still like one of my best friends to this day. And he's, he's the instructor of class. And there's like 50 people in there and uh, all different shapes, sizes, ages, different businesses. And they're all trying to make the next level. You know, this guy had been there and done it. Like he'd owned probably a hundred different companies. Um, and you had to go through the class and tell him what your name was and how, you know, what you did for a living, what your business was. And like, I was just like, my name is Matt, I grow pot. And the instructor's just like, okay, this is ridiculous. So, um, at the end of the class, they're like, hey, you, you know, Mr. Pot. I'm like, yeah, he's like, come talk to me at the class. She was driving me in trouble in a fucking fictitious class. Because I was like a class that I was school. He had got trouble. And so he's like, what do you mean you grow plot? I'm like, I have patience. I'm a caregiver. I have this warehouse. And I grow medical canvas for him. I sold. He's like, I want to see it. I'm like, okay. So like three days later, I, I bring him up to his warehouse. I probably had like 5,000 square feet go up. And I slide open these two garage doors. There's a full operation. And he's like, holy shit. And he's like, this is what I had in mind. So, bro, from that day forward, like, we were, like, attached to the nip. I was, like, his kid. And he saw the opportunity. Right? Yeah, he saw I was young. He saw, you know, that I had humility. We saw that I was coachable. Most young entrepreneurs are coachable. And I'm like, listen, I don't know what I don't know. An old company, successful entrepreneurial family, like, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll eat horseshit. Show me how to get to the next level. And he saw that, and he recognized that. He's been on the block in 65 this board. And so he just opened up the Rolodex, and we, you know, he's one of the most well-known people in Arizona. Like, you know, in the 90s, I think he was the most eligible bachelor in there, his whole town, like, um, and they called him, like, the Hugh after Paradise Valley. And so, like, like he became my, my you know, rich dad port and became my rich dad. Yeah. And um, since I met him, it's just, like, it has been an upward trajectory ever since from 25. All right, so I mean, he starts coaching you, right? And give you the little lead act. It's like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, like whispering the shit, yeah. Everything he tells her to execute. I have, at this point, like, I've done, I've done door-to-door sales for real estate. I'm knocking on physical, it's top, you know, them throwing water shit at me. So my skin is, is so thick at this point, I'll do any. I'm just so hungry to be successful, I'll literally do any. What would you say to somebody and I'm not to take us too far off this story, but what, what will you say to somebody who is maybe floating a little bit right now in life where they're, they're, they don't have that drive and ambition because they have the founder lane yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's so many young entrepreneurs that they, if you ask them, do you want to be successful? Yeah. I want to be a millionaire. Yeah. I want how bad do you want? So the one percenters do what the other 99 percent won't do. Right. So are you willing to, you know, hear no 400 times? to have to get to the yes of 401. Are you willing to go meet up with strangers and have uncomfortable conversations? Are you willing to do things, go out on a limb? Are you willing to go out of your comfort zone every day? You have to ask yourself a lot of questions and then get yourself in the right mentality. If you're not built like that, you're not built like that. Most people are. It's just that I think it's how bad you want something. Like I grew up relatively poor and I was like, I'll never, I'm never live like this kid. And it creates such like an internal pain inside of me. I, I was just like, it created like this driving force where like, I could fail a hundred times and I'll go Steve Bell. I mean, I mean, like in my mind, it's like failure is just that if you fail again or it's not even a failure, that's another learning lesson. Each learning lesson is you're that much closer to a big hit. So it's just like, I think I didn't, I would never look at it like, oh my God, what am I passionate about? I wouldn't do it what I'm passionate about. I looked at where's the most opportunity, right? And I think the emerging industries getting in very early gives you a ton of opportunity with the massive amount of upside. And so it's like, 
first of all, I think it's mindset, right? Like when I was a struggling entrepreneur in my early twenties, I would hang up like printed little eight by 10 pages all over my house. So like when I brush my teeth, you know, there'd be like vision board stuff. Yeah. There'd be a little page like by my, where I brush my teeth and I'd have to say, I'm going to be wealthy out loud 10 times where to week louder. And just ingrain that into my head. How about positive self-talk yeah. really, really conditioning you to believe you're po- you, it, this is possible and you have the potential. You're going to go to it. Your mentality is 80%, right? So like, if you don't think you're going to be wealthy and successful, you'll never be well successful. Like it has to be living in your head way before it actually not. I tell, I have a good friend of mine. We just had this conversation this morning. She was like, she got this change opportunity. I can't talk about it, but it's an acid and it's, and, and she said, and this person owns $800 million worth of apartments. Just think about the logic of this. Beast mode. Yeah. Bags. And they're telling me, because I want to say they're gender, they're telling me, I feel like this opportunity is a little scary. I don't know what I'm doing, and I feel up like I'm an imposter. And I'm thinking to myself, you are more successful than every person in this room. Right. And the fact that you feel this way, a lot of people feel like this is a very normal thing. And it's the first all development in the lang- changing the language patterns. And instead of saying, I feel like an imposter. I don't know if I'm capable of doing this. My whole coaching session to this person was, what if you told yourself, like, I might not know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. That, like, you know, and yeah, while this is a little scary, this is super exciting for me to step into this uncomfortable spot because I know I'm going to grow. And as we started talking, they were like, oh, did, why am I not doing this? I Because if this person gave advice to somebody else, that's the advice they would get. For sure. But they don't do it themselves. They, it, then it's crazy, right? So that how they perceive the world outward versus internalizing yeah yeah but like you stole the word out of my mouth like people ask me all the time isn't this scary i have what are you gonna do you no one's ever done it was like i'll figure it out and i always figure it out you know what i mean it's like you jump on an airplane with no parachute and build on the way down i think that would no not anyway yeah yeah exactly and like the human brain is so impressive and intriguing like if you back a human into a quarter they'll figure it out you know what i mean well i, I say that all the time about like addicts you drop an addict in any remote location, you'll find it. I promise. Yes. Right. And it's like, how are they able to do that? Because they wanted that. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So, I love that. I love that answer. This person's coaching you. You're now, you've got this little growing up. I've got the caregiver thing going, got the retail stores going, and now I'm applying for the life of this to create a big white platform. All right. So, I, we end up winning a life of this at all. And I had to have this vision, like, I always kind of see how he's in the future going to play out, and then I have to place chips based upon where I've been set. Called, I'm like, all right, this is going to be huge. Like, these lights are going to be, like, the national alcohol distribution like for the yeah. one. So we get to the and I'm like, all right, that's cool. So then I go to my mentor, I'm like, I need to raise the money. He's like, all right, let's go to my wealthy guys. So we go, I go raise seven million bucks. And it's a lot of money. Yeah, especially I was 26, you know, so. Um, and what, what was the pitch? Like in general, like what was the, is, are you giving away equity? Are you raising debt? I think it was a combination of debt, equity, and rev share at that point, if I remember correctly. So you're kind of like, hey, we need to raise this money fast. I'm willing to create an irresistible offer that I know people, yeah. once they get it, they're getting, they're getting paid on multiple levels. They know that this is emerging industry. And at this point, I'm still like, you know, figuring out as I go, right? Like I, I wasn't. 
I wouldn't say I was an expert in business by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I took the money. I went and bought a de- uh, license to downtown Phoenix, bought it for four hundred fifty thousand on terms, and I think fairly two thousand twelve. That's now worth twenty twenty five million bucks. Uh, you wish you still had one for Oh my god! Oh, oh man, I could have co- I could have held like forty licenses in Arizona, and they're worth ten to forty million pop. And there was this, there were peanut. You were, in- but I kept buying more as it was going. So like I've held like twelve or thirteen personally in my name and AV. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually paying 900000 for this one. God, I tried this one $1.8 million. They kept just, and Arizona still got an amazing program, robust. So, open up downtown Phoenix at the hottest spot in, in the state. I'm growing some of the best and best flood. And um, what was the name of that? And Blue, the side troops. Blue. So, that was the first one. That 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 company just sold for $212 million about 12 months ago. But I, I was no longer. Yeah. Um, and so. I ramped that up from zero with seven million bucks. Maybe I brought in another couple million along the way, but let's say under ten million bucks. I ramped that up from zero to two million in revenue a month in less than eighteen months, and I had one hundred and twenty employees. That, then I started to get attention from a lot of big players, private equity, family office. Hey, like that. You've never had that many employees. Nope. So you're you're trying to figure out. I'm not only had I'm a twenty seven year old CEO like with yeah one hundred and thirty people like I, that their life is in my head. We hit out. So, Every day they bang through. And I did. This is interesting for a lot of entrepreneurs watching this or listening to this. And I get asked this a lot. Like, how do you know what to do? So as you're going through, are you building leadership squads? How do you create SOPs? How do you think about meeting cadence? Like, well, what's the, what the new steal from zero? Because that's a fast drop. Yeah. And literally, you know, they got from my mentors, right? They showed me about org charts. They showed me about different departments and directors of each department reporting up, right? Almost like military and job descriptions and hiring based off core values. And so that there's a very strong culture within the organization, right? They're like, put your most important core values piece of paper, four to six. So I did. And then we brought in one of them, in my opinion, one of the best HR guys I've ever seen. And they said, hire everyone off those core values. Cause okay. you can't change core values, but you can teach skill sets, right? And so I started breaking. I think this is an important lesson for people cause they feel like they got to go find and hire everybody. It's like, you're one person away from freeing yourself from having to do that part of the business. You, you pay for the talent to handle the job and give them the instructions and the path to go do their job really well. If you hire somebody that sucks and you have to babysit them all the time, you're going to be a unhappy entrepreneur. You hire somebody, pay them really well, that's very talented and say, here's our core values. Now go fill up our team full of talent. Right. That person is going to go bring those people to you. I love that. So you hire A people, you get A results. You hire C people, you get C results. It is what it is. Um, I always sit in the meetings for important hires. I don't always say a lot, but I'm very observant. And that's just kind of my mantra is speak softly, but carry a big stick. Um, And so I was obviously on my direct reports. I'm always involved in those, in those interviews and some very key hires. But for the most part, you know, as organizations grow, I'm, I'm out of that. Yeah. Um, and I, so you're scaling, you're now getting attention. Yeah. National attention. Yeah. Um, I have, I'm like, all right, I'm going to Nevada next, right? At this point I got two stores in Tucson. I got one in Phoenix. I got one in Sedona. I got 30,000 feet pumping out product, full vertical. So I'm controlling from seed to consumer, which I like. Cause then I'm not at the mercy of any other vendors or anything like that. I have a commercial kitchen. I'm creating our own concentrates, the whole thing. 
And as far as SOPs and stuff go, like you go to the expert of that department and you say, write down everything you do every day. And then you try to standardize that into a, you know, basically standard operating procedure. Um, and the nice thing about cannabis was it made me learn a full vertical from raw material to the consumer. Mm. So now I can apply that to any business, right? And like the, the learning lessons I learned in cannabis and having to create the companies from scratch with no playbook to go off. It's not like I'm like, I'm going to go do another shoe company. So let me just grab Nike's playbook and run with it. No one ever done this before. Right. So I'm like taking little tidbits from tobacco and from pharma and from uh, big alcohol. And then I'm, ta I'm, I'm stealing guys from Pepsi and Walt Disney and being like, listen, you don't know nothing about pot, but you're really good at what you do. Let me show you about cannabis. It's just another cog. Right. So I've not, I do not hire, I was not hiring within the space because bad actors in the space. So I'm bringing these white collar guys from these big corporations, Fortune 500 companies, and then teaching them about cannabis and how they can make a lot more money with me because there's so much more upside than their, their you know, typical corporate job. So there's that. So end of 13, I'm, I'm pushing into Vegas. All the politicians are flying to Arizona to come tour my facilities and ask me questions. What do I like about the program? What would I do different? How can they alleviate more of the hold of our products running out to the streets? Stuff like that. So I'm like the golden boy in Nevada at this point. Um, and um, so then I started getting attention from private equity guys, family offices, a big family office out of uh, Palm Beach came in like, hey, you know, you're the exact kid we're looking for. Let us let us buy Bloom and let's partner and let's go. Let's scale nationally. I'm like, all right. So. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I'm gonna let you get right back to the episode. I just wanted to answer a question that I get all the time, which is where do I go to network with other high level like-minded individuals? Where I go is the Avengers Real Estate Mastermind. It's an experiential mastermind. There's about 175 members. They're all super high level. They're all gunning. They're all gaining skills and capabilities. Networking is off the charts. We bring in the biggest celebrities, rent out the coolest venues. We have a ton of fun. The training is off the charts. And I'm always ahead of the curve because of the members inside the Avengers. We're all collaborating and helping each other out. So if you're looking to get plugged into something super fun that's gonna really lift your business up in a major way, check out joinavengersmastermind.com and watch the video that's on there, read all the information and see if getting plugged into a mastermind would be right for you. That's joinavengersmastermind.com. Completely. Pharrell needs what they want to return. And they, but they're like, we have him, like me. So like, you know, F you guys. Um, they wanted like 10X their money when it been a play for less than two years. So they weren't able to put together a deal? No. So what they did is they're like, you know, big money gets what they want eventually all it. Yeah. So, and this is a deep 10 figure fam. Um, they flew me back to Florida. We're like, we don't even care about but we know you have a attachment to it. You know, it's your baby. So we try to make a deal. But if people are completely realistic, they want seventy million dollars to go away. This business isn't working in the year. That lay up there. I understand. They're like, so we don't care about boom. We just want you. I will get you. I'm like, hold me an offer. And like, I'm sitting at a big conference table, attorneys, accountants, some old thing. So they're like, all right. So they're like, we want a partner with you. We'll start a new company for we'll capitalize the hundred or felt. I'm like 28 years old. Like. You're like, say that again? I'm like, I don't know if we have capital anymore. Yeah. And um, so I struck a deal. But that could, I mean, while that sounds nice, that's got to be a lot of internalization, struggling, like thinking like, okay, I'm on this like rocket ship. It got me here. Now there's this other person, people court. But it's, it's, you know, as exciting as it was, it probably was 
hard on some level to make the call or were you over the um i just had big visions you know like i i wanted to build an empire and i felt like these guys had the the jet fuel to like do anything so you didn't see the path with the uh, the other kind i felt the path would be a lot rockier and i knew like there was only a certain window to really like supercharge and canvas companies before what was cfa and tap pay race to the bottom consolidation no liquidity so on and so forth art of oppression um and so i took the deal took a small buyout on bloom some new york boy came in on bloom and then they ran it up and exited for 200 me 12 billiards worth so that's that ended up working out for that. yeah 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 so i built then so i took the hundred built out you know i was very well capitalized at this point so i can hire whoever i want you know i'm bringing in cfo uh did my cfo came out of coca-cola um bringing in pharma guys you know like bringing in big hitters from other industries that kind of have a little bit of correlation to what canada's drop was in jump and uh yeah ended up you know buying some more licenses in arizona had a nice foothold there Ended up crushing it in Nevada. What was got that applied and got the eight highest scores in the state for life. And the company was re, re dispensers that. So I built started building that in Q1 of 14. Um, and from there till 2017, uh, so about three and a half years, I went from zero just a, a concept to uh, 120 million in revenue, uh, 40 million in Badog. Had almost 500 employees under management. Like I'd walk in the store to not even know who my employees were. Like it's still growing so fast. Um, I was number one forty as a forty in cannabis in 2016. Um, but High Time said I was one of the most influential people in cannabis. You know, right around like Burner and Wiz and smoking dope with them all the time. It was cool. It was like it was so crazy. I like run around with all these like faceless rappers. Dan Bolzarian's one of my best friends. Like it like it was so like. Everything started happening so fast. You know, like when you go really fast in a car or a crowd rocket, everything starts to like turn into a blur. Yeah. That's what my life was like. And there's just, you know, everyone's like, I'm in all these magazines and like all these people from like, Montana are seeing all this. And it's just like, it was crazy like how fast it happened. You know what I mean? And like, were you single during the sign? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we need to do whole podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a bloodbath. I thought, yeah. I, <laughs> I believe it. I mean, dude, you Angus, me already. He and Danville, they were best friends. What does that tell you? We were like the two playboys in, in Vegas. Yeah. And so it, it was a disaster in a good way. And you, and you have no kids running around? They're, well, not, not, no. I love that, you know. Was going to be some little water yeah. running around one day. I'm surprised someone hasn't tried to say that that off. You know, yeah. that's the, oh, okay. So now, now that's pop then. Ripping. And, um. I started to kind of get a little uh, frictional with the family office. And so after about six months of fighting with them, I decided to resign and take a get bought out by them. And, you know, they end up plugging their son for Goldman Sachs and the CEO. So that's probably what they wanted for me to build this empire. And so they get up another toy. Uh, and so I, I, you know, exited, shook hands, whatever, took my money. And then, you know, Dan's all over me. For all we got to do, Canada's company, come on. Like, this will be so fun. We'll go get a mansion in Bel Air. You know, Beverly Hills, we'll fly all over the world and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, all right, fine. So we become partners on a company and then I come up with this name, Ignite. You know, the rest is history there. We moved to LA together and that first shit just got out of hand. Like, cause Dan, the perception of Dan was like, he had more money than God. And so he was almost like a puppet master to the celebrities. Like all these celebs are going to be like, bro, you're with Dan now? Like, damn, like, this is a good look. We would like, you made it, my boy. You know what I mean? Did it, you feel that one? 
I, I don't look at people on a pedestal. Like, I think that's why uh, very well-known people like me a lot because like, I don't think they're, any, they're just another human. If anything, they just have more issues than someone else. Um, in fact, you're just another person, you know what I mean? So like, I never, I don't give anyone preferential treatment, but at the same time, like I had my own money. Like I never needed, I never asked to ever for anything. You know what I mean? Like I, I had my own shit going. Yeah. You know, like I think he was expecting because everyone tries to take shit from him. So I think he respected that. Like I was just there to have fun and build companies and do whatever. So we started throwing these crazy parties in, in Bel Air, you know, like Middle Eastern guys are from like 30, 40,000 to get in. Like the first one we drew, I think we, we took his jet while picking up girls all over the country, flying it into LA to his party. So the first party, I mean, was like 80 dudes and we 800 girls. Yeah. And like, you know, it was, it was, that sounds off. It was madness. Like it like destroyed any Playboy party over. She <laughs> didn't um, but like, I just, I started to take a step back and I'm like, this isn't what I thought it was. Like, this isn't what I thought it was when I was in that base in, in Montana watching Dr. Rose, what I mean, how manufactured it was, how fake everyone was. Everyone was there for the wrong reason. It was like, I just, I started to get a sour taste in my mouth about that whole life. And I became, I started to become a little unhappy and bitter. Found the site, it's just like, this isn't what I signed up for. Like. You roll around, everyone's, you know, give me the fuck you smile. Hold up, bro. How you been? Like, you just don't know who's going to stab you in the back when you jerk around. And it's just like, you almost, you almost become down to it all. You do, like, then you look back and you're like, what was I doing? You know what I mean? But yeah, you become, I lost all connection to emotions I had. You know what I mean? It was just like, I became very cold. And like, that's not how I was raised and that's not who I am. And so I just started to kind of remove myself in that situation a little bit. He and Dan's father were getting in a lot of fights. Um, to the point of, you know, King Cattle was just pushing me out of the company. I owned a very small piece. I just, I just walked away after about a year. And you, you walked from it. Yeah. You just said, you know what, it's not worth it. No, I mean, I didn't want to go through the headache, the nightmare. Um, his father, his cronies were heavily involved and I thought they weren't very good at running businesses. And they like, either you're going to give me the range, you're going to let me build an empire or not, but you're not going to use me and my face for leverage because I, I'm very well known in Canada space and not let me make high level decisions about how, how to build this company. So after about a year of that, whatever happened to Ignite? I think it's still Ripley United. I think they've kind of refocused, rebranded. I think they're doing a much different products like alcohols and nicotine products and stuff like that. I think, I think they're doing very well. Um, but I haven't talked to Dan in a long time and it is what it is, you know, I always got love for the guy wishing the best, but clam. All right. So now, I mean, cause you, you parlayed your cash in a bunch of different companies. Yeah. Like Canada's got boring for me. Right. Um, and then like, I didn't want to be known as a one trick pony either. Like, oh, he's good at Canada. So nothing else. Cause like, I'm a very branding and marketing driven, like minded person. And so I, I knew like cannabis, like a lot of investment bankers told me cannabis was the most challenging business I'd ever seen just in general. Cause you're dealing with controlling the whole supply chain, which you can't do in other industries because it's considered monopolistic practice. If the canvas is so infant that they haven't broken it up yet. Like alcohol, you can't control it to consume. Um, and so they're like, I've, I heard a lot of really smart bank, but this is the most challenging, difficult business I've ever seen. And so in my head, I'm like, damn, if I'm crushing it in this business, it's like, how hard can I crush in a traditional business? And so I just took like some of the capital I made and started deploying in other businesses. And, and now I have like a, nice portfolio of diversification. And I think that's very important moving forward because 
don't know. I don't think things look good. How do you feel about the economy right now? I'm very nervous. Uh, I don't see any high ground. I think there's going to be an economic meltdown at some point. I think they're going to have to revalue the world currencies. Um, like, they've, our governmental system is created upon this team. There's no way out. Like, we won't even be able to pay the debt on our national debt by 2030, one or two, I think. So the Ponzi scheme just keeps getting bigger and bigger until eventually it breaks. God forbid the 10-year treasury note runs. We won't be able to pay our debt now. And now, I don't know if you know anything about quantitative easing, but they're printing more money to buy their own bonds because no one else wants to buy them. Like, if anyone did it, the government did, they'd be in prison for the rest of what? So this this doesn't end well no matter how you look at it, my trick. They probably have to reprice gold, go back to some sort of gold standard at some point with additional currency added up. It sounds, it's, <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying, and it sounds like, uh, very scary to people. Yeah, and right, because it's like almost hopeless. It feels hopeless. It's like, okay, we're not really in a real estate crash. We're not in a niche crash. We're in a currency crash. We're in a stimulus crash. Yeah. If I don't think our global GDP has really grown much in the last 15 years, I think cash has been getting ejected into systems. And that's what's been considered economic growth. Like, why are watches 10Xing in value after you buy it? Why are used cars going up 20, 30, 40% that you're driving and depreciating assets is because there's too much liquidity in the system. And those little pieces of paper are becoming worth less and less, right? So, like, I just, I, I'm a high-level macroeconomic guy, I guess you could say, and I just, it doesn't look very promising to me, so. So what are you doing personally to prepare for the opportunity and the shit show that's potentially coming? Because um, I feel pretty strongly that as... 2023 rolls out, they're finally going to start talking about the truth. And they've been hiding it for two years. Yeah. Um, this administration has lied about everything, like Rachel, their chief, and they know they are. That's why they have a little smirk on their face when they say it. Um, but it's not just our administration. Like most of the world is on this global one world forward type of thing, trying to get everyone aligned. Um, I'm very heavily focused on cash flow and businesses that are necessities. Um, so, doing this uh, oil resource company that supplies capitals to big oil companies. Um, I got my gym in downtown Miami. And tell me, in the boxing boxer, yeah. yeah. So 30,000 square feet, we just expanded the 40,000, 42,000 square feet right in downtown Miami, like three blocks from the Miami Heat Arena. Um, I already have uh, 1,600 members of seven months. So the trajectory is like crazy. And I just, I see the business opportunities and I see talented operators. And then I, I'd come in, I used to be the operator, right? And, and now I realize like the operator doesn't always make up the money. And so the guys behind the curtains, the, the guys pull the straight. You, you want to be in the wizard. Yeah. So now I'm these young offers under me and I coach them and I help build teams around them. And I can, so are you the old white guy now? Bro, I could call, I'm like the old wisdom guy. Yeah. Student became teacher. Right. And you know, I'm just passing on the stuff that I learned, but I, you know, I've had some hard learned lessons. Like sometimes they're not coachable. Um, sometimes could both look like, yeah, what was your biggest implosion of an investment or on the business that you tried to, to, besides maybe the ignite conversation? Yeah, I let up. That was tough. Uh, you got some perks though along the way. So yeah, I did a biotech company that I, I was very heavily capitalized in, uh, and it was basically creating prior proprietary formulation from the enough from hemp plant. Uh, so you, I would go in so over the counter pharmaceuticals, they basically like Advil, Tylenol, uh, anti-anxiety, sleep, stuff like that. And I was trying to come up with proprietary formulations. I did that basically would 
take over the all the account space. So instead of using synthetics, you'd use a natural hemp or plant derived product. And so, but since it was very, it, it was looked at the CB company, I built that up end of 18 through 19 into 20. And I was, I was able to get it off to a public company by the skin of my teeth. But like the thing was like CBD, like died pre but you know what I mean? If this was looked at as a CBD company. So like lost all this traction and I ended up losing my ass on that transaction, like millions. Uh, bad. It took a few years off my life, but, uh, um, you know, I, I came out bigger, stronger, like. I'm not upset about it. It's sort of this. It's a great learning experience. It, you, you, you've had a couple of unique moments that a lot of people don't have, like staring at grand count, seeing tens of millions of dollars in there. Yeah, and then staring at your bank account, losing millions of dollars, and just being like, oh, man. My mistake as a young boy, never realizing that that can even be achievable, even though I'm ahead of it, I'm going to do this. Once you see those big numbers in your bank account, my first mistake was acting like a professional athlete and having not really good money management skills for that kind of wealth. And I just, I have it, I had it on drive with me, had drivers, had assistants, had chefs. Um, and I, I just started to watch how fast those numbers started to go backwards. You know, like I was pissing through hundreds of thousands of the month. I'm like, fuck, like, and now I see how athletes go broke. Yeah. Because you just get so normalized to this lifestyle, right? You're out of the club, 20,000 here, 15,000 there, whatever. And like, it's just, I saw a clip recently of Andrew Tate talking about uh, meeting up with Dan Bilzerian. Yeah. And just him bringing his cars over and his security team over and his private jet over. By the time that, oh, his bro is missed like three, four hundred grand for a trip. And you won trip. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, now, uh, bro, why would you do that? But the insanity of it all is people do it all the time. And it, they start making that kind of money or they have that kind of money and it becomes normalized huh? until it runs out. And so, like, I, you know, as I get older, like, those things just aren't as important to me. Like, I want to be the guy that nobody knows his name but has a lot of money. You know what I mean? I used to want to be famous and in the spotlight. I'm just like, dude, you can have all that. Like, the thing with, and I, I've been lucky enough to be friends with a handful of billionaires. Right. And, well, you know, they're not, they're not rolling around in Bugattis and like, no, and he's in shit. They, they drive normal cars. They have nice single rock. Oh, yeah, buried the South. Is that right there? Third thing, but like, you wouldn't just see them. They're not dripping in Balenciaga and Gucci and shit. They're like normal. The op they're the opposite. And that's because the people they hang around with look at the millionaires like us that are dripping in fucking nice watches and Balenciaga and stuff as like, and by the way, not Balenciaga anymore. No, yeah, we're, we're going to throw that out. Well, the hard, let's see, the hard nook. Uh, but like, as like, that's what they do, the millionaires and the new we fresh web guys, because that's what everybody else does at that. But when you get there, they're like buying ranches and because stuff, I mean, Florida was a weaponry in buying uh, farms, you know? So I have a handful of billionaire friends and there's a big, billionaires and millionaires those from the same plots at all. Billionaires are passable, look at me, look at me, I made it, I made it, fuck you. But there now is a big game. And so they're they're moving massive chess pieces. They don't want anyone to know what they're doing, right? Millionaires, they made it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a one percenter now. Look at me, look at me. Like, I've kind of got away from wearing watches. I still wear, I, I'm a big shoe guy. I'm a shoe guy, so I wear a lot of nice shoes. But like, I wear like $5 t-shirts. My friend's company is like, this is Sean's company, right? Yeah. Guess that's where the pot of gold. Shout out to Lions 9. Shout out to Gamalwellen and Lions Den. He sends me shirts every month and he's a good man. Uh, but like yesterday I'm wearing a pot of call shirt, you know, it's, it's like companies I invest in, but these are like five color t-shirts. I don't, I don't really wear designer anything. 
Um, I think I passed all that shit. And then yeah. when I was like in my late 20s and I became a multimillionaire, I wanted everyone to know. Fuck you, I made it. I, I, I overcame all these odds. I was in your face, you know, and I started drinking alcohol and become obnoxious. Now I'm just like, leave me alone. Let me build my little empire. And like, you know, yeah. I just wanted like you left alone and be happy. So how do you think about investments right now? Um, like, if, let's say I see an opportunity at emerging industry. I heard this podcast. I'm like, I'll reach out to Matt. I'll, I'll pitch him on this idea, which I'm uh, sure it is three times today. I was going to say, I'm sure it happens all the freaking time. Yeah. Uh, how do you vet something? How do you even, how does, how, how does somebody even get your attention? How would they, how would you vet the opportunity? And then what would be the process to even like move forward with something? So, um, now I have a, a C-suite team, you know, um, that are all high level business people. Um, a lot of it comes from my gut and I listen to my guts before my brain talks me out of it or talks me into something. I, I do like to look at either emerging industries or a very a huge differentiator to a traditional industry where you can disrupt. Uh, I also look for the operator. Who's going to run this business? What's he look like? What do they smell like? How do they act? You know, are they are they coachable? Are they going to run? If, if I blow this thing up and they make 15 million bucks, are they going to become a wild child where I can't, you know, where I, they won't listen to me anymore? Uh, so I spend time with the operator. I ask them to have a business plan or at least a pitch deck that makes, show they actually thought through all the nuance of those pictures. So that's high level. And then I look at what the capitalization structure might look like, how much help they're going to need, how much bandwidth this is going to take for me. So I only have so many hours. Um, and then if all those, che- then check all those boxes, then I'll send it to my team. Like, I want all your guys' feedback on this business. And, you know, they're more like, I'm the guy that shows up as well, kind of sell the meetings with my $5 t shirt, my backwards hat, maybe I shaped, maybe I didn't. And, you know, either you can meet with me, you could, I look like a bummer, you can't, like, it's up to you. I don't, my life's not going to change either way. But I've, I don't wear suits anymore. Like I already, I already did all that shit. So, but a lot of guys that work for me are more corporate, more buttoned up, you know, like more like, like my CFO, he worked for Procter Diablo for 35 years. So he got that category corporate training where it's like, all right, here's the agenda for this call. Here's this, like, here's the, here's your spreadsheets for this. Like everything's very organized, very Excel, you know what I mean? And that's not me. I'm like a running gun cowboy. So like I surround myself with people that cop up my weaknesses. Um, and then if they give good feedback, like, yeah, I like this business for these reasons. Or if like, no, I don't like this business. I take all that into account and I just, I make a high level assessment, look at the, you know, the risk capital law versus the potential upside, how big what they have to grow this silly column. And those are just some of the variables I look at. And then at the end, I made the bottle decision if I'm going to move forward or not. And the team has to get behind it. Do you say yes or no to way more than you say yes to? Like, are you- I used to be really bad at saying no because I'm so optimistic that I could see the silver lighting in any. Yeah, you know, I could look, I could turn this into this, I could do this. Well, you can't be a shiny object guy. Like the guys that make the most money are extremely focused. And so as I'm getting older, gaining a little bit more wisdom, I'm, I'm saying no, like 98% of the fun. Yeah. You know, but like, you know, one of my boys comes to me, they have successful trackers, like, bro, let's partner, let's do this. I'm like, bro, you've already made money deal this, let's go. Shell then we heat lend. I pop in on you again. Yeah. And like, sometimes they don't even want capital. It's like, dude, I just want to do business with you. We are right, cool. It's more for fire. Yeah. And so like, no, no, I'm, I, I'm part of like eight or 10 operating companies. Now I have like 40, 50, like passive investments that we kind of oversee. And it's just, it is a result. Stocks, real estate, crypto, businesses. You had to focus on one or two of those. Where right now, jeans right now, I'm putting probably 75% of, 80% of my books in cash flow and operating businesses and only selling things that are 
absolute necessities, not wants, like a blood dread of forget it. So now I'm going to be international cannabis play, right? The, 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 a lot of the world's untapped in Canada, so I could take my skill sets and go apply those in Europe and Asia. So you're looking around the, the U.S. landscape saying, this is the race to the bottom. I'm not. I'm, go, I'm, I'm, I'm going international. You shouldn't. You couldn't pitch. There's only one state left in the U.S. towards the wall, and that's Texas. A huge population can be very limited conservative. Um, but other than that, I'm very focused on international. Europe's 850 million people, like first world countries. Like, I went there. I'm to Greece three weeks ago. I'm like, you're smoking this? I'm like, how much does this cost? I'm like, 6,500 a kilo. I'm like, I'll buy that in the States for under 500 a kilo right now. So it's just like, and dude, with my expertise in the space, like, this is like a sitting dock. So I just, I just bought a license in Greece. Well, now I'm going to start putting all the pieces together. That's how fast it happens. Yeah, like, when, when you see a good opportunity, it's like, we're going to Greece. You have to be very decisive if you're a leader. Yeah, you can't lawful. And so I make decisions. So we got cash flowing businesses, stocks, crypto, or real estate. Pick one, go. Real estate, just because... I think crypto will have... I mean, I believe in crypto technology 100%. That's why I'm still invested in so many crypto companies. But it's, it's got a long road ahead. You know, like... What we're probably seeing now is that the 2000 collapse of dot coms, you need another five to 10 years of building to really see what these companies could do to change the world. So I'm lo long game, huge on, on crypto and blockchain technology. The stocks and stuff, I'm, I still have, a, I, I took, I, I backed up like from all the stocks that I'm invested in just in like with my wall, the buys and manager. But like I, I did a lot of private placements and stuff, so I'm stuck in those no matter what. So um, I'm just sitting on those because I can't do anything, but. As far as like li liquidatable stocks, I'm out. Like I don't, I don't even want to know what's gonna happen. I'll come back it. I like that you said real estate. Yeah, that's good. That's well, they're like, just more real estate deals. Even if you go upside down to real estate, like it's coming back. They're not making any more land. Like it's a it's future proof. It's a scarce and real, and the population is gonna keep growing. So like, real estate's like a guarantee. And like, almost every successful person I know has a real estate portfolio. You know what I mean? But if you can do like. He could get the raw, I mean, especially the commercial. I, I would be sitting on cash right now, personally. Like, I think sitting on a war chest of capital is very smart, right? Now. So you can take advantage of the deals when they got. Yeah, I don't think you're, I don't think you've seen anything close to the bottom yet, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, th I think we saw a little indicator of the summer, and, but, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I hate to be a pessimist. I'm just trying to, I'm, I look at the data and I'm just, I'm real. No, the, the reality is the, the tsunami is coming to run everybody over. If you're listening to this or watching this right now, this is the time to get prepared. This is the time to increase your energy, your enthusiasm, your skill sets, your capabilities, raise your enthusiasm, be, get plugged into other winners. Like it's, it's go time. Like it cannot be defense right now. We need to be like sh shifting to offense hard yeah, because it's going to run of a lot of people over. I keep you touched on it like it's coming and i hate to be this pessimist on the top of the building with my tinfoil hat be like we're we're fuck we're all done we're cooked but like bro every indicator economic indicator i see it's gonna get ugly. like it could be worse than that can bear as levels um and you're gonna see you're gonna see wealth decimated but like once the ashes settle that's where the the new empires have built right that's where you'll see the new rockefellers and congregies and um uh Vanderbilt's and all these guys rise above the ashes of like the next generation of Titans with being able to lean on leverage technology and exponential growth. Like you'll see the first trillionaire out of it in my opinion. All right. So let's end this thing strong. All right. All right. Let's end strong. Let's go. Okay. So 
what would you say to somebody right now that's a, an entrepreneur that is around a bunch of negative people? They don't have a path. They don't have the mentors. They don't have, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their, their lives. To, what would you say to them to motivate them to, to really lean in on what's coming right now? First of all, I would get away from all the negative people. The next 10 years of your life will be defined by the books you read and the people you surround yourself with. So get with the innovative, open-minded thinkers. Like, I'm not over here crying, like, we're screwed, we're fucked, we're doomed. I'm like, all right, I'm going heavy in these cash flowing businesses. They're going to start spitting off cash in Q2 of 23. I'm going to start investing that cash into assets that are hopefully rock bottom in the next, you know, 12, 24 months. And that's how you start the whole thing. Now you have these machines that are feeding all these investments that are very, very the under undervalue. Um, get away from the negative people. Start reading more and more books. Try to find a white knight in this whole in this whole store, right? Try to find something that can help weather the storm for you. An operating business, a cash flow business, do something. But you have to educate yourself. You have to be in the know. When you got to be in the in the action. If you're on, if you're just sitting at your house, like nothing's just going to come to you, right? I used to get out every night shaking hands, talking to people, this that, like. Now I, I can sit home and everything comes to me, but like that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't out every night being a social butterfly in my mid, late and twenties and early thirties. So it's like, get out there, hustle, start hanging out with like-minded people, start reading the right books and start creating visions so that you can capitalize on the future. Like the most, the most opportunistic times in our lifetimes in the last 200 years will happen in the next 24 to 36 months. So get, get ready for it. Do whatever you're going to do. Like, are you a survivor? Or are you just going to sink? Be the 1% that will do what the other 99% will do. That's it. And I think I would add, it's okay if you're on that couch in the basement right now. A lot of successful people start it there. 100%. Rock, rock bottom. I did stressed out, overwhelmed, bullied, passed over, pushed around, picked on. And they're sitting there and they're looping and they're saying this, I'm not going to do this. This, I'm not going to live like this. I'm not going to stay here in this space and enough is enough. And then they finally get pissed off and they say, you know what, tomorrow I'm waking up and bouncing back. I'm freaking going for it. And they, well, when you finally get there, I believe you finally get a breaking I mean, there at the break, breaking point. It's now you st- I was bawling my eyes out when I hit that point. Like so many times a show, it's that was we take very small things and we blow them up into these big deals and we're creaking out. It's like somebody goes, I'm the old man out of it. And I'm losing my mind. And it's like, why am I allowing my environment and all this other stuff to control and re- my reaction and who I am and how I roll through life? So I love that, dude, because if they do see the silver lining and they elevate their enthusiasm, this will be the largest transfer of wealth, and they gotta make a call. If I gotta be up, the haves or have nots. Which side am I gonna in a break to generate a curse for your family or not? And as we did, uh, and and they and they and the person watching this right now, you can do it too. Hundred so. percent, go get it. All right, well, thank you, man, for coming on the Clever Investor Show. We appreciate you. That's all we have for you in this episode. Until next time, we're out of here. Take care, comb your hair. Peace. <laughs> Hey, thanks for being a subscriber of the Clever Investor Show. As a thank you gift, we wanted to give you something that we know is gonna help you get started as a creative real estate investor. It's our real estate success kit and it's completely free. Just go to www.reisuccesskit.com to customize your kit, but essentially it's a collection of 15 training tools designed to help you get results 
quickly as a creative real estate investor. From systems to lead generation, to finding cash buyers, to creative ways to close deals and get paid. Your free REI success kit is just a few clicks away. Once again, the website's www.reisuccesskit.com.